everyone. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. Uh, I'm your sole host this week, Zach Horton. My wife, Krista, is taking a break for this week. So it's just me again. Apologies early, but I am really excited for what we get to study. This is sections 98 through 101. And we're calling this episode Afflicted, and we'll talk a little bit about what affliction means, and more importantly, how we are to respond to it. As we're recording this episode, we're coming off of a week of a lot of things that could be considered afflictions, both things outside of human control. We live on the East Coast, and uh, we had Hurricane Ida, of course, that hit heavy in the South, but we got some remnants of that up here. And... um, In the Philadelphia area, some of our freeways were completely submerged in water. There were some tornadoes that hit around the area. So that's happened in the last week. Um, And then uh, there's been some afflictions in the church, some causes for disagreement and uh, contention and difficulty among uh, members globally. And and, uh, of course, all of that piled on top of Uh, COVID restrictions and masks and vaccinations and the debates swirling around all of that. And so as we studied this week, um, we couldn't help see the similarities between a little bit of what the world is facing uh, and what the church members are facing in the early 1830s that caused the Lord to give them this series of revelations. So it's an incredibly relevant section or a couple of sections to study. Um. To begin, just to set the stage, uh, this is the beginning of each of the sections this week, and you can see the thread of affliction carried throughout them. So this is section 98, verse 3. Uh, Therefore, he giveth this purpose unto you with an immutable covenant that they should be fulfilled, and all things wherewith you have been afflicted shall work together for your good, and to my name's glory, saith the Lord. That's the beginning of section 98, which was received in consequence of some afflictions that were being faced in Kirtland, Ohio, uh, not the least of which was uh, uh, an excommunicated member by the name of Philastus Hurlbut. He had been excommunicated actually a couple of times, and uh, out of his anger for that excommunication, he uh, according to Joseph, quote, sought the destruction of the saints in this place, and more particularly myself and my family. Others recorded that uh, Philastus Hurlbut wanted to, quote, wash his hands in Joseph Smith's blood. And so Joseph would write letters to members of the church in Zion saying, we're no longer safe here in Kirtland, or we're no safer here in Kirtland than you are in Zion. The clouds of persecution are gathering around us Um Of course, it would be only a couple of weeks later that Joseph would receive letters back, reports back from uh, Jackson County, Missouri, that they themselves were facing persecution, affliction, that they were being uh, driven from their homes. Jackson County residents uh, signed kind of an unofficial petition that put into action uh, uh, efforts to remove members of the church from their homes in Jackson County and have them leave the county. And so uh, that plays into this as well, though Joseph didn't know about that when he writes uh, or receives section 98. 
Section 99 to John Murdoch, an early missionary of the church whose wife had passed away. Um, you might know that his two twins, she passed away, uh, leaving these two twins to their care. Joseph and Emma had just lost their twins, and so they were they adopted the Murdoch twins. Uh, Brother Murdoch was called on multiple missions, 12, I think, if I remember correctly, 12 missions in his lifetime. He served and served and served. Um and in all of that serving, faced his own affliction. So this is section 99, verse 1. Behold, thus saith the Lord unto my servant John Murdoch, Thou art called to go into the eastern countries, from house to house, from village to village, and from city to city, to proclaim mine everlasting gospel unto the inhabitants thereof, in the midst of persecution and wickedness. In section 100, <clears throat> this is a revelation to Joseph Smith and others that were called on a mission to Canada, Joseph and Sydney predominantly, and even though the word persecution or affliction isn't mentioned there, the language is very similar. This is verse 15. Therefore, let your hearts be comforted, for all things shall work together for good to them that walk uprightly and to the sanctification of the church. Of course, serving a mission far away from home is no small feat. As Joseph and Sydney are away, they're very concerned about their families. Joseph's very concerned about uh, Emma and her health. And to that, the Lord addresses their need for comfort. And then section 101, which is somewhat of a landmark revelation, once uh, Joseph hears about uh, the efforts in Missouri to remove church members from their homes in Jackson County, he receives this revelation that he sends to them. And it just says at the very beginning, Verily I say unto you concerning your brethren who have been afflicted and persecuted and cast out from the land of their inheritance, I, the Lord, have suffered the affliction to come upon them, wherewith they have been afflicted. And so all of these church members are dealing with affliction. Affliction is one of those words I didn't really think I knew that well. And so part of my study this week was just looking at what the word affliction meant. And uh, in Greek, the word affliction shows up quite often in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the, word, the Greek word is thlipsis. And it means, among other things to press or to pressure both body and mind. And I thought that was a really fitting description because what's happening in the 1830s is creating a lot of pressure, both things outside of the church and things inside of the church, creating a lot of pressure. And this could just be me, but over the last week or so, as I've kind of watched the goings on in the world, I guess over the last couple of months and years, but, but more poignantly in the last week, I have felt, and as I've talked with others, they have felt a lot of pressure. And the question that comes to us then is, well, what do we, what do, we do with that pressure? Um, it's interesting to note that the church in the 1830s faced persecution almost from its onset. But it seems like, especially in the writings of Joseph Smith, the things that pained him most wasn't the external persecution by, quote-unquote, enemies of the church. It was the internal conflict by those that should have been friends, those that should have been Christians and believers. There's an interesting parable in section 101, right in the middle of the section, the parable of the watchman and the watchtower. And if you remember the parable, the master of the vineyard uh, leaves and tells 
his uh, watch, his, his servants to build a watchtower so that he can place a watchman on the watchtower to watch the vineyard to make sure that the enemy doesn't break down the hedge and come in and destroy the vineyard. So in verse 47, the parable picks up. And while they were yet laying the foundation thereof, they began to say among themselves, What need hath my Lord of this tower? And consulted a long time, saying among themselves, What need hath my Lord of this tower, seeing that this is a time of peace? Might not this money be given to the exchangers? For there's no need of all these things. And then here, I think, is the crucial verse. And while they were at variance one with another, they became slothful, and they hearkened not unto the commandments of their Lord. And the enemy came by night and broke down the hedge, and the servants of the noblemen arose and were affrighted and fled. And the enemy destroyed their works and broke down the olive trees. And then when the nobleman comes back in verse 52, you can almost feel the emotion in what he says. Behold, the nobleman, the Lord of the vineyard, called upon his servants and said unto them, Why? What is the cause of this great evil? Why didn't you do the thing I asked you to do to keep you safe? And the answer to that question is in the verses preceding it. Because they were at variance one with another, there was so much focus on that interpersonal conflict that they could not attend to the most serious things, which was building a watchtower, putting a watchman on the watchtower, and then listening to the words of the watchman to help protect them from the enemy. They were so focused on fighting each other that they weren't able um, to be aware of the attacks that were coming upon them. Now, I don't mean to get um, overly specific, but we all live in this same time and same world, and we know, without having to stretch too much, that the hot topics of the day, masks, vaccinations, um, comments from local or general church leaders, uh, unfortunately cause a lot of variance, a lot of affliction, a lot of pressure, internal pressure. Now, this maybe is, I don't mean to digress too far, but I don't think the chastisement of the Lord is for having uh, different opinions or different thoughts. Certainly in our local councils, in our discussions with other members of the church, there are going to be different opinions. We're going to see things differently. We're going to perceive things differently. Our experience filters the way that we view everything. And because everyone's experience is different, everyone's going to see the same thing differently. And so it's not that we disagree with each other that's the problem. It's not that we have different perspectives or different ideas or different uh, personal problems or perceived problems or even different solutions to those problems. It's the way that we talk to each other. It, it, it's, it's almost shocking to listen to our brothers and sisters use words that are so antagonistic, so filled with anger and, and violence in any of these topics against either other members of the church or against those that aren't members of the church, but, but likewise deserve our respect uh, and, and civility. 
And so with that very long introduction to affliction, at least for me, that's where this study became situated for me. That's where the relevance came in. Here's church members that are dealing with these kinds of afflictions. And the ones that pain uh, the prophet Joseph at least the most are the ones where he's being, uh, he's, he's facing conflict and affliction from those that should be Christians, those that should be friends, those that should be using words of kindness and, and love and charity. And I think in the world that we live in today, that's not too far of an experience uh, from our own lives. Now, to invest in your study, here's a question you might ask. Um, maybe as you've listened to me rant a little bit about affliction, you've been thinking about your own life and the people that you deal with on a regular basis. And maybe you have thought of some areas of conflict or affliction. And I think a really powerful question to ask ourselves as we study this week is how would the Lord have me respond to affliction? We cannot avoid it. The world is a world of differences and conflict. And as I said before, I don't think all of that's necessarily bad, but I think there is a divine way, a Christ-like way to respond to affliction. And I think that could be a very powerful study um, of sections 98 through 101 this week. As one small example, here's something that I found in answer to that question. Uh, this is section 98, verse 14. Therefore, be not afraid of your enemies. And as I read that, I thought, you know, I, I wonder if so much of our conflict, if so much of our, our desire to pick up the verbal sword, as it were, and start attacking someone whose opinion or, or thought or belief is different than ours, is, is driven by fear, uh, fear of the unknown, uh, fear of, of, of implication. I don't know. But at the very least, the Lord commands, be not afraid of your enemies, for I have decreed in my heart, saith the Lord, that I will prove you in all things, whether you abide my covenant, even unto death, that you may be found worthy. Then, in verse 16, I think he explains what at least part of that covenant is that he's expecting us to abide in the midst of affliction. Therefore, renounce war and proclaim peace, and seek diligently to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and the hearts of the fathers to their children. I think it's insightful um, I think it's powerful to see that the Lord allows afflictions. He allows conflict. Of course, agency is a part of the plan of salvation. And so he allows us, our agency, to see things differently, speak about things differently, um, and experience things differently. But I think in those differences is a proving of our devotion to covenants we have made with him as Christians, which is, at, back to the Savior's Sermon on the Mount, to turn the other cheek, to give the coat to him that begs, to walk the extra mile if you're compelled. That is the Christ-like way to respond to affliction. The Lord promises many times in these sections, if you notice, uh, to fight our battles for us. Justice is his. He controls the time. He controls the justice. 
Uh, he is the Lord of Sabaoth, as it says in verse 2 of section 98, which is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the army. So he's in charge of the battles, and he will command uh, He will command armies, he will command um, defenses, he will command strategy as he wills. But when he's not actively commanding our involvement, uh, the standing law of the land is peace, to renounce war and proclaim peace, and to seek diligently to help other people feel peace, re- irrespective of our differences. So for me this week, that's one answer I found to the question of how would the Lord have me to respond to affliction? I saw that he wants me uh, <laughs> to renounce uh, war and proclaim peace. And maybe I found that because I'm, I am naturally a, a fiery person when something, I don't know, uh, triggers my, my, uh, my, my, I call it my, my highway patrolman, um, reflex. It's not a holy or divine or charitable reflex, but maybe you have the same reflex. You're driving down the freeway and there's that car driving behind you and tailing you because you're only going five miles over the speed limit and he wants to go 30 miles over the speed limit and he's trying to let you know by being three inches behind your bumper that he's really really mad at you and so you change lanes or or he swerves into the carpool lane and then swerves back around you cutting you off and zooming ahead well the uh the highway patrolman reflex in me says, oh man, I wish that I had, I was driving like an unmarked highway patrolman. This is my dream. If you, if you know me, this is my, my dream that someone does that to me. And then I flip the switch, the lights come on. And in my dream, I can see his expression in the rearview mirror of shock. Oh no, what did I do to a highway patrolman? And I pull him over and I walk up to his window and I can see the moment when he realizes that what he did was wrong and there's remorse and there's change and I get to be there to witness that. And that's never happened to me. Um, The Lord has never granted me my desire to be a unmarked highway patrolman and see justice done. But that's what's inside of me. When I see something uh, that that I feel is wrong, I want to be a part of setting it right and solving it. What I've come to realize over the years, though, is the person that's doing what they're doing, they have a reason for doing it, you know? Someone years ago said to me, what if the person that was riding your bumper and then swerves around you and drives 30 miles off and speeds off, what if they were you know, on their way to the hospital because they were experiencing something or they had a passenger in the car who needed to get to the hospital or... What if they're on their way to the birth of their child or a number of a hundred different reasons why someone could be doing that? Now, of course, they could have just been rude, but I don't know that. And I think in our public discourse, especially related to some of these topics of the day, masks and vaccinations and church leaders and everything that, uh, that we find to pick battles over, people have reasons for believing what they believe. And their reasons are as personal and they feel as right to them as my beliefs are to me. And so I am not in charge of seeing justice done because I'm not even sure that my perspective is the right perspective. I'm not sure that I'm right uh, and that other people are wrong. I can't be. And the older I get, the more I realize there are so many different ways to look at something that more often than not, I'm the one that is misseeing something or lacks the vision or the perspective. And so to me, the message of renouncing war and proclaiming peace resonates. And if I had a desire 
to 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 share through this episode, it would be that I, I just I can conceive of a world where we not just believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God and our Savior, but where we are committed to following his example in the way that he treated people, especially the way he treated people who were cast out from normal society. He went out of his way to find people who were at odds with what the prevailing culture said should be done. And it wasn't that he reached out in all cases to excuse um, their their differences. You know, the woman that was brought to him who had been taken in adultery, he doesn't excuse her absence, but his first actions towards her are actions of charity and love and understanding and listening and kindness. That's the Christ-like way to deal with affliction or conflict. At least that's what I have learned as I've studied this week. You, when you study how the Lord would want you to respond to affliction, will find so many other truths that can help guide you as you deal with uh, with affliction in individual relationships or in, or in communities that you uh, live in. Um, connect. At the end of each episode, we love to give you a little bit of an invitation to help you better connect with God. Um, this one, of course, <laughs> comes from that verse, renouncing war and proclaiming verse, uh, peace. In fact, if I can add another reference onto it, this is verse 34 in section 98. Uh, I love this, and I think this is something really practical that we could actually do this week. If any nation, tongue, or people should proclaim war against them or against you, you should first lift a standard of peace unto that nation, people, or tongue. Now, here's the practical part. I think something we could do is if someone is uh, acting in a combative way, speaking in a combative way, especially if that person is speaking from a viewpoint that we disagree with, our natural inclination is to fight back. That's what we do. But I wonder what would happen to our relationships with people and to our community if we went out and identified someone that was uh, that was uh, making war, proclaiming war, as it says in that verse. And if instead of fighting back, if we found a way uh, to lift up a standard of peace to that person. And so as an example, <clears throat> uh, unfortunately, the online realm of social media creates way too easy a place for us to debate things like this because we can say the most harmful and hurtful things. We don't have to see the person face to face. In fact, a lot of times we're not just we're not even talking to an individual person. We're just sending our our verbal anger out into the wide world for people to read, and we feel like we're justified in doing that. Um, and especially because everyone else is doing that, and so uh, social media has become a place where. Uh, more often than not, people are just just mean. But what if instead of us joining in the fray and trying to defend our position with that same kind of verbal violence, what if we lifted up a standard of peace? Uh, and now you can think of ways to do this, but as I was thinking through it, I thought, you know, if I just find a discussion post online and I'm the one weird guy that says, I think we should all be loving to each other. I, that's probably not going to go over very well, and people are going to think that I'm just trying to be self-righteous. So I thought maybe the best way to do this is to find someone 
that I might normally disagree with or, or get in a confrontation with. And instead of sending a group message or responding to a post that they did so that everyone can see it, maybe I just reach out to them individually. And, uh, and maybe that response goes something like this. Hey, I saw your post uh, this week and um, I, I really appreciate just your passion and your perspective. I don't see things quite the way that you do, but I love that you're so passionate about this and care so much about this. And just wanted to let you know that I appreciate that. Something like that, I wonder, it could blow up in my face, could blow up in your face, but I wonder what would happen to our world if we did a few more things kind of like that. Now, you will find your own uh, answers and your own ways to connect to God in your study. Um, my testimony of this principle comes not from success in my own actions, but from being surrounded in my life. I have been so lucky and so blessed to be with people uh, in my career, in my wards, in my communities that are just peacemakers. My wife is a peacemaker. She's not on this episode, so I can, I can talk about her a little bit. Uh, one of the first differences I noticed in our marriage is that, uh, that she was so much more empathetic uh, to people. Whereas I would go into conversations wanting to get my point across, she would go into conversations wanting to hear and understand what someone else was thinking. And it took me a long time, uh, didn't take me a long time to notice it, but it took me a long time to start to practice that myself to where I, I could in some small way try and emulate her. But I've been surrounded by people like that, and I feel so much at peace when I'm with people that are proclaiming peace. It makes my environment feel so much more spiritual and Christ-like. And so if, if you can join, and you probably already are, but if you can find small ways uh, to do that this week, I think our world could be just a little bit more peaceful. I want to end this episode with an excerpt from Elder Holland's talk, Last General Conference. Of course, the last week or two, um, Elder Holland's address at BYU has been in the news, and some excerpts from his address to the teachers or the instructors at BYU, the professors there, uh, largely have been lifted out of context and then uh, have caused or have been the springboard for a lot of online aggression. And um, it's interesting to me to listen to the address that he gave in general conference because he addressed this very topic of conflict and contention. And so I'll let him be the final word this week. Hopefully you have a wonderful study on your own and uh, we'll see you next episode. Brothers and sisters, we do see too much conflict, anger, and general incivility around us. Fortunately, the current generation has not had a third world war to fight, nor have we experienced a global economic crash like the one in 1929 leading to a Great Depression. We are, however, facing a kind of third world war that is not a fight to crush our enemies, but a conscription marshalling the children of God to care more about each other and to help heal the wounds we find in a conflicted world. The Great Depression we now face has less to do with the external loss of our savings and more to do with the internal loss of our self-confidence, with real deficits of faith and hope 
and charity all around us. But the instruments we need to create a brighter day and grow an economy of genuine goodness are abundantly provided for in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot afford, and this world cannot afford, our failure to put these gospel concepts and fortifying covenants to full use, personally and publicly. So, in a world tossed with tempest and not comforted, as Jehovah said it would be, how do we find what he called the covenant of peace? We find it by turning to him, who said he would have mercy on us and, with everlasting kindness, grant peace to our children. In spite of frightful prophecies and unsettling scriptures declaring that peace would be taken from the earth generally, the prophets, including our own beloved Russell M. Nelson, have taught that it does not have to be taken from us individually. So, this Easter, let's try to practice peace in a personal way, applying the grace and healing balm of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ to ourselves and our families and all those we can reach around us. Thank you.